Good morning, everybody. Uh, it's great to be with you on this Sunday morning. And thank you to Drew and Cheryl for helping us so far in our service. Let's pray together and let's ask God to continue to help us and to speak to us in the rest of this service. So let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the amazing things that we've already heard this morning. Thank you for the truths we've heard from your word. Thank you that you are God and you tell us what is true. We thank you for the wonderful promises you give to us in your word. As we hear now about Abraham and the way that he was able to believe your promises, even when it was hard, we pray uh, that you would give us the same faith as Abraham, that we too would trust your promises, even when it's hard to do so. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It was lovely to hear some of the promises that the children had been given and the way that those promises had come true and they were able to enjoy those things that they were given. Uh, but I did also empathise with Micah and Lydia uh, not being able to do some of the things that they were looking forward to. Uh, we had an email arrive in our inbox recently telling us that yet another event had been cancelled, that something we were looking forward to as a family was no longer going ahead because of, you guessed it, coronavirus. We're getting used to being disappointed at the moment, aren't we? So many of the things that we've been looking forward to or the things that we used to enjoy doing, we can't do them anymore because of this virus. Of course, when we think about the people who are suffering because of the virus and the way that it's affecting so many people's lives in different ways, it's a small sacrifice for us to stay home. But that feeling of disappointment is there nonetheless. But what if, uh, even after this crisis, life continues to be a disappointment for you? What if you were disappointed with life before the crisis and nothing is going to change to suggest that you'll not be disappointed when this crisis is over? And what if part of your disappointment is actually due to your faith in God. Have you ever looked at your life, at your experience, and compared it with the promises that we read in God's word? And you just think those two things don't match up. My experience and God's promises. Have you ever been through a season of life when it just doesn't seem like God is at work? Where it seems like he's absent? Have you been crying out to God? Have you been praying to him for something? And it just doesn't seem like God is listening. Have you ever felt an ache in your heart when you've read about the amazing things that God has done in the past? The things he's promised to do in the future. And, and you ask, Lord, how long? How long before you act in my life in the way that I've seen you act in the past and in other people's lives? How long until you answer my prayers and you act in my experience if that's ever been your experience and how you felt then you're not alone because many other believers through history have felt the same way 
disappointment with our current state of affairs and a longing for something better isn't necessarily a sign of unbelief. In fact, as we're going to see, it can be a sign of genuine faith. Here in Genesis 15, we find a true man of faith who is grappling with questions about God, about God's promises and God's plans for him and his life. And he's feeling disappointed because it doesn't look like God is acting on the promises that he's given to him. But Abraham shows us how to deal with disappointment as a believer. And if you're not a believer yet this morning, then there's something here for you as well. Because what we see is that it, it is possible to believe in a God who seems to be absent when we are in need. So we're going to read this passage together, Genesis 15. I'm going to read it in two parts because each part of Genesis 15 deals with two particular disappointments that Abraham is feeling at this particular point in time. So I'm going to start with Genesis 15 verses 1 to 6 and the words will be on the screen. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, you've given me no children. So a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. I wonder how would you respond if you had a vision of the Lord and you heard the word of the Lord speaking to you directly and personally? And what if that word contained wonderful promises, the promise of provision and the promise of protection? Well, you might get around for the rest of the week on cloud nine. You think, wow, amazing. God spoke to me. I've seen the Lord and he's given me such wonderful promises. Well, that was Abraham's experience, but that wasn't his response. See, Abraham is given a wonderful word by the Lord there in verse one. But instead of responding uh, with great awe and amazement, he asks a question. You see, Abraham has already been given wonderful promises by God. And we heard about those promises back in Genesis 12 a few weeks ago. But those promises are yet to be fulfilled. And Abraham feels an ache in his heart. He's feeling an ache in his heart for these promises of God to be fulfilled. He's feeling particularly an ache 
for a child, a longing for God to provide the promised child. You see, back in Genesis 12, God had promised Abraham he would be the father of a great nation. Now, you can't be the father of a great nation if you don't have any children. But that's the situation that Abraham is in. He doesn't yet have any children. And there's no possibility, humanly speaking, of him having children because his wife, Sarai, is barren. So we need to understand here that when Abraham questions God, he's not showing a lack of faith. In fact, he's showing us that he really does believe that God is going to do as he said it he will do. He really does believe in God's promises. That's why he's so disappointed. Because he's heard God's, God's promises. He, he believes in God's promises. But God hasn't yet come through on those promises. And so he's disappointed. He cannot be content with his current situation when he knows that God has promised him more. And perhaps you felt the same at some point in your life. Maybe at the moment you feel that your experience of God and your walk with God is so shallow and superficial and you're disappointed with the closeness that you have with God or, or the lack of closeness. Now, God talks about it in his word in Ephesians about being filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, but you feel so empty and you want more and you're disappointed. Or perhaps you look at the world around you, you see the suffering, you see the pain, the injustice, the violence, the wickedness. And like a, an Old Testament prophet called Habakkuk, you, you, you're crying out to God, how long, oh Lord, how long are you going to allow this to continue? Habakkuk says, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear. Sometimes it seems like God isn't acting in his world and the suffering continues. And we want him to make good on the promises that he's made. We want him to be active. That's what Abraham wants. Abraham wants God to make good on his promises. But perhaps that's not what God meant when he promised Abraham a child. Perhaps Abraham would never actually have a child of his own. Perhaps the line of blessing and the promises and his estate will be passed to Eliezer, his chief servant. Would that be how God would fulfill his promises to Abraham? Well, it could be, but if it was, it would be a bit disappointing for Abraham not to have a child of his own. But look again at God's response in verse four to five. Your, your heir will not be a servant. Your own son, your own flesh and blood will be your heir. I will fulfill the promise that I've given to you. And the Lord reaffirms that promise by taking Abraham outside his tent and getting him to look up at the stars. And God gives Abraham a challenge. He says, can you count the stars? Have you ever tried doing that yourself? Have you ever been out on a clear night? And you can see all the stars in the sky and you've tried to count them. It's impossible, isn't it? Uh, I, I once came across a conservative estimate for the number of stars that there are in the universe. And the number that was given was uh, 
10 sextillion stars. And that's a 10 followed by 21 zeros. That's a lot of stars to count. It's impossible. But God says to Abraham, look at the stars. And that's how many your offspring will be. So shall your offspring be. There will be a vast multitude of people in Abraham's family. So many that it will be impossible to count them. And we know from the New Testament that this family, Abraham's family, includes us. If we believe in God, this promise of an innumerable offspring, a vast multitude of people, is fulfilled in the New Testament. In Romans 4.11, we read that Abraham is the father of all who believe. And later on in the New Testament, in Revelation 7, there's a vision in heaven of a vast multitude of people from every tribe and tongue, and nation. So we can be part of Abraham's family of faith. We can be part of this vast multitude by faith. So how does Abraham respond to this promise? Has he had enough of waiting? Is he going to give up on the dream of a child? Well, no, he responds with faith. Verse 6, Abraham believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness we're told something very important about faith here something to build on what we've already seen in Abraham's story in previous weeks you might remember when we're looking at Genesis 12 that we saw that faith is founded on the promises of God and faith is also produced by the word of God the word of God contains the promises of God and that's where our faith originates. It originates with God. But now we see to build on those truths that through faith, we receive the righteousness of God. And Romans 4 says that that phrase, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That was written down not just for Abraham, it was also written down for us. This is a promise for us, for us who believe in Christ. Well, what is righteousness? Well, righteousness describes a moral standing before God. It's about being in a right relationship with God, the God of holiness, the God of justice, the God who does everything right. And it's a declaration by that God that we are in a right relationship with him. That God doesn't count anything wrong against us, but we are right. We're righteous in his sight. And that is a status that we are given. It's an objective status, regardless of how we might feel about ourselves. Regardless of how we might feel about the way that we've acted today. God gives us righteousness. He declares that we are righteous. It's an objective status. It's not a subjective feeling. You might be more familiar uh, with the term justification, to be justified 
by faith. Well, it's the same thing. To be made righteous and to be justified is exactly the same thing. And I want you to notice that Abraham doesn't achieve this righteousness himself. He receives it from God as a gift. That's made clear uh, in Romans 4 that righteousness is not a wage that is paid into our account. It's not something that we receive in response to any work that we do, to any uh, religious performance. Abraham hadn't done anything, hadn't done any religious act to gain God's righteousness. In fact, Romans 4 stresses the fact that it was much later that Abraham was circumcised. That was a a religious act. But the, the righteousness came before the circumcision. Now, righteousness is credited to Abraham's bank account because of God's grace. Imagine waking up one morning and you find a message on your phone or or an email in your inbox telling you that your bank has credited your account by £1,000. Well, that'd be amazing, wouldn't it? Particularly in these difficult times. And and there's, there's no rhyme or reason for it. The money just appears without you doing anything. That's what's happening to Abraham here. And that's what can happen for us through faith. Righteousness is credited to us as a gift. This righteousness has nothing to do with Abraham's performance, but everything to do with God's grace. And this is the difference between human religion and true faith in Jesus, true genuine Christianity. Every religion says your righteousness must be earned. You've got to work for it. You've got to perform to be declared righteous. Jesus says it is finished. I've done the work for you because you couldn't do it yourself. Religion says do. Jesus says done the heart of real genuine christianity is a beautiful divine exchange again we saw that in romans 4 it's not having our sins counted against us we read in romans 4 blessed is the one to whom the lord does not count his sins against him Rather than our sins being counted against us, they were counted against Christ on the cross. But instead, something else is counted for us. So our sins were counted against Christ, but Christ's righteousness was counted for us, given to us as a gift. He was the only righteous person, the only person who could claim to be in the right with God. And yet he gives us that righteousness to us. That's the heart of real Christianity. So perhaps without even realizing it, Abraham is given an even greater gift than a child. He is given the gift of righteousness, the righteousness that comes by faith. And Abraham also has an assurance 
that although God's promises are yet to be fulfilled, that they will come to pass. There might be a delay, but even the delay is part of God's plan. In the delay, God is strengthening Abraham's faith, the faith through which Abraham will be made righteous by God. But Abraham still has questions about God's promises. He's still disappointed. And we're going to read about these further questions and this further disappointment in verses 7 to 21 of Genesis 15. Now, Abraham also said to God, sorry, the Lord also said to Abraham, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I shall gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abraham brought all these to him, cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abraham drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, know for certain that for 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own. And that they will be enslaved and ill-treated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here. For the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking brazier with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said to your descendants, I give this land from the, the wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. The land of the Canaanites, Canaanites, Cadmites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. So here's the second disappointment that Abraham is facing. Not only does he have no child, but he also has no land. Abraham is living in the land that God has promised to him as a possession, but he doesn't yet possess it. It's not yet his. At the end of the chapter, we read there about all the other different people who are living in the land at the moment. How could Abraham, as one man, drive out all these people and make the land his own? It seems impossible. So Abraham asks another question. Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I shall gain possession of it? And again, it's important that we see that this isn't a question seeking to undermine God and undermine his promises. Rather, Abraham is asking this question in a way that affirms his belief in the sovereignty of God. But it hasn't yet been revealed to Abraham how he's going to receive the land. You see that there's a difference 
between asking a question in faith that seeks to, to find out more about God's promises and seeks to, to find out more about God's truth, a desire for, for more of who God is and what he's promised to be revealed to us. And there's another way of asking a question which shows that we don't actually believe in God's promises in the first place. But we can ask a question seeking to go further into God's promises and further into faith. Or we can reveal through our questions that we don't have faith in the first place. And Abraham's question is the former. He, he is seeking to go deeper in his faith to find out more about the promises of God. So how does God respond to Abraham's question? Well, he makes a covenant in verses 9 to 21. A covenant is a binding agreement made by two parties. And it's a way of the Lord affirming his promise to Abraham. And the, the covenant is kind of sealed with this strange ritual, a ritual which at least sounds strange to us, but it was probably quite common in the ancient Near East at that time. The Lord calls for Abraham to bring animal sacrifices to him. And these are cut in half apart from the birds. And the two halves of the animals are laid opposite each other. And there's a space left in between, a kind of a, a walkway between the animals. Now, what would normally happen is that the two people who are making this covenant would walk between those animals, between those severed bodies and it would be a way of saying look if I was to break this covenant and if I break the promises that are being made as part of this covenant then I will end up like one of these severed animals that will be the cost of me breaking this covenant it's a very powerful way of saying you can trust what I'm saying. You can trust my word. You can trust the promises that I'm going to make. Because I know if I break these promises, that I'll end up like one of these severed animals. So this kind of covenant with this kind of ceremony, it is made by people who aren't messing around. They're serious about the promises that they make and the binding agreement within that those promises are made within. But in this covenant ceremony in Genesis 15, there's only one participant. Only God takes part. You notice that Abraham is put into a deep sleep. Abraham is taken out of the action. Uh, Abraham's response there in verses 10 to 11 is minimal. Yes, he, he does act in faith in that he responds to God's request to, to collect the animals, to sacrifice the animals. And he also makes sure that those animals aren't eaten by birds of prey. But ultimately, Abraham is passive in this. God is the active participant in this covenant. The Lord is making the covenant with Abraham, not the other way around. And we see the Lord in the fire and the spoke of verse 17, walking 
as it were, between these sacrifices, between the severed animals. And so Abraham is given a very powerful reassurance by God that he will keep his word, that God is serious about this covenant and the promises that are being made as part of this covenant. Because the cost of breaking this covenant will fall on the Lord and not on Abraham. This covenant is a solemn commitment from the Lord to Abraham that his word will not fail. This is a, a word, a covenant made in blood, the blood of an animal sacrifice. And blood will be required if it's broken, but not Abraham's blood. And this covenant points us forward 400 years to another covenant that God made with his people at a place called Mount Sinai. God had just rescued his people from slavery in Egypt. He brought them out of Egypt and he was taking them to the promised land. He's taking them back to the land that he had promised to give to Abraham and his descendants. And on that journey, at the start of that journey to the promised land, God made a covenant on Mount Sinai with his people. And on the day that God made the covenant, there was darkness. There was fire and there was smoke, just like there was on this day when God made a covenant with Abraham. And that covenant itself at Sinai points us forward to another covenant that God would make on another mountain. Mount Calvary. And on that mountain, a new covenant would be established. Blood would be shed to establish that covenant. And because of that new covenant in Jesus' blood, we can trust God's promises. But as part of this covenant ceremony that God is establishing with Abraham, he gives a prophecy. He points Abraham forward to that time of exodus, uh, to the time 400 years later when God would take his people out of slavery. Abraham is to know for certain that his descendants will be slaves, that they'll be ill-treated for 400 years, but God will bring judgment on that nation. And afterwards, they'll come out with great possessions. As for Abraham, well, he's going to die in peace at a good old age, but his offspring will have to wait to inherit the land. They're gonna to have to wait 400 years to come back and to take the land as their own possession. Now, when you think about it, this is a strange way of assuring Abraham that God's promises will come true. God is saying, you and your people will have to keep waiting for this land. And as you wait, there's going to be much suffering. But that's all part of the plan. The delays and the disappointments that we face is not a sign that God has forgotten his promises. Rather, they are God's way of strengthening our faith in his promises. And 
It's through that faith, remember, that we are made righteous by God. Now, the Lord is also saying to Abraham, my promises will not be fulfilled in your lifetime. You're not going to receive everything that I promised you in the here and now. Only many years later, many generations later, will your family receive what I promised to you. In fact, the boundaries of the land that is being set out in verse 18 of Genesis 15 will only be gained by God's people, Abraham's family, a thousand years later under the reign of King David. But again, this is all part of the plan. Abraham will one day fully experience the blessings of God, but not in this life and not in this world. Abraham has been encouraged to look beyond this life, to look beyond this earthly home to another home, a heavenly home, a heavenly country. And in that country, all of God's promises will be fully and finally met and enjoyed by Abraham. But the message here is that God's promises are so strong, they're so powerful, that they last beyond death. In fact, we know for certain as God's people that we won't experience all of God's promises and the fullness of them in this life it'll only be in the next life that we'll enjoy these promises forever with God in his presence so when you're disappointed with your current experience when it doesn't seem like God is at work when it doesn't seem like God is acting on your behalf, in your life. Use that time to strengthen your faith in God's promises, because that's what God wants you to do. God wants you to have a stronger faith in him, and he'll use delays, he'll use disappointments to strengthen your faith, your faith which is more precious than gold. So keep going back to God's promises. You can find those promises in God's word. So remember the promises, recite the promises, sing the promises, share the promises within your family, with friends, even with those who don't yet believe in the promises. And know that in response to your faith, that God declares you righteous in his sight. However you might feel, however disappointed you might be at the moment. And you know, that is the greatest gift that you can receive and enjoy right now. The righteousness of God that comes through faith. And keep going. Keep trusting. Keep following in Abraham's footsteps of faith. Knowing that one day all of God's promises will fully and finally be fulfilled. But until that day, we walk by faith and not by sight. Well, let's pray together.
Father, thank you for reminding us this morning that we are not the only ones who have struggled uh, with your plans and your purposes in this world. We're not the only ones who found it difficult to trust and to cling hold of your promises. Abraham struggled with disappointment and many believers throughout history have struggled with disappointments and seeming delays in you fulfilling your promises. But thank you, Father, this is all part of the plan. It's all part of the plan to strengthen the faith of your children. Oh, Lord, our faith at times is so weak, but thank you that you're at work, not only to give us that faith as a gift, but by your grace to strengthen that faith so we can receive your righteousness and we can receive all of those promises that you've given to us. But those promises will fully and finally be met, not in the here and now, but on the far side of death, the far side of, of our resurrection from death. So give us the faith to keep looking to your promises until the day that our faith gives way to sight and we'll be with you and we'll see you and we'll rejoice in you forever. In Jesus' name. Amen.